Hello and welcome to A City of Champions, a seven-part podcast series diving into each individual game of the Cleveland Cavaliers 2016 Finals run. Today, Larry Nance joins the podcast to talk about the Cavs' historic win in Game 7. Are the Cavs done? Yes, they are. I don't even know why that's a question. Uh, the Golden State Warriors have only lost back-to-back games this year one time, and that was in the Western Conference Finals to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Oracle Arena is alive and roaring as we get set for Game 7. This place is deafening already. Green for three. Game behind the back. Jump and count it and one. Chance for a four-point play. Smith throws it up, blocked by Curry. Then comes Curry the other way. Drive and the finish. Here comes Irving. Irving drives past Green. The foul. Shot's good and one. And the Cavaliers with their largest lead of the night. Curry to Livingston. Throws it down. And the game is tied. Timeout Cavaliers. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Irving and Curry. One-on-one. Irving puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. It's final seconds. It's over. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network, brought to you by our friends at betonline.ag. I'm your host, Justin Rowan, and today we are discussing Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. With me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going, buddy? End of a long road, a seven-podcast series. We'll never have the kind of coordination to ever do this again, so uh, <laughs> appreciate it while it's here, because uh, we're not exactly planners. But it just took a it took a no. global pandemic for us to get off our asses and do something ambitious. How about that? And with us today, we have a very special guest. We are honored to have Cleveland's own Larry Nance Jr. on the podcast. Larry, how are you doing today? I'm good, guys. I'm good. What's up? How is quarantine treating you? Are you bored as hell? Oh my gosh! I feel like I, I'd rather be doing anything else than just sitting inside. <laughs> it's it's the worst. Yeah, obviously there's a big elephant in the room and we should address it off the top. Uh, A lot of people going through changes these days, having to make adjustments. So how have you adjusted to playing primarily the five last year to playing power forward and small forward this year? (laughs) (laughs) That's the that's the elephant in the room. Okay. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big adjustment, right? People need us to ask this question, Larry. <laughs> okay. Um, you know what? Honestly, like I just, I consider myself just a basketball player. I, I, you know, whether that's the five, the four, the three, shoot, there were times last year I was the point guard. So like, I just, uh, I, I just, if you put me on the court, you know, I, I'm just happy to be out there. So I don't care what position it's at. I just uh, look to make a difference wherever I'm at. Well, we appreciate that, and uh, we appreciate you making a difference on this podcast. So, obviously, we're here to talk about Game 7 of uh, 2016. Um, you know, you were uh, – uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were a Los Angeles Laker at the time. Correct. Rookie year. Uh, yes, I was a Los Angeles Laker, yes. But you did grow up uh, in the Cavs community. Uh, <laughs> you could say what that. What was it like for you watching this uh, – watching the Cavs win their first title? What was your – what? How did it feel for you? What was kind of what was your experience watching? So it was one of the weirdest experiences I've I've been through because like you know like growing up a Cavs fan, you know, a diehard Cleveland sports fan, you know it was the coolest thing to see, um, you know to see the 
City of Cleveland won one, to, you know, childhood hero LeBron win one. Yeah, it was just, it was unreal, you know, just to get to see that and watch it, you know, watch it happen, unfold in front of me. But at the same time, as a competitor, it was like, man, that, that sucks. That should be me. You know, it was, it, it, was, uh, right. it, was, it was really tough. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I was over, I think it was more okay for me to be happy for the city than it was for the players at that time. Gotcha. Makes sense. Now, this might be a tough question, but what was your favorite moment that year involving the Warriors? Was it the Cavs winning or was it your dunk over Festus Azili in the preseason? <laughs> oh, you talk, you're talking about looking like your father. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know what? I, mm, I didn't have any mixed feelings about my dunk over Festus Azili. That was I was pretty happy about that as a whole. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I not the first time. Poor Festus is going to get dunked on in this podcast. So, oh no, <laughs> oh, oh no. So, out of curiosity, before we kind of dive into the game at large, there are a few uh, lingering uh, champions from that team on the Cavs roster that you've played with, including. Yeah, I mean, you played with all of them uh, when you were uh, traded uh, to Cleveland in 2018, halfway through the year. Have you talked to the guys much about that series? Is that something that like comes up a lot in the locker room, or is it more just? everyone's focused on the task at hand and you're not really trading war stories. Uh, so we used to, I mean, when we had, you know, with Channing and, and, you know, when I came here with Channing and it was, there was more of them around, there was, it definitely used to come up more because somebody would ruffle Channing's feathers and like, Oh, you know, shut up old man, you can't move anymore. And he's like, Oh yeah, well, where's your ring at? You know? And then it would just, <laughs> it, it would just, uh, it would come up not, or kind of organically that way. But, um, you know, not not really anymore. Kevin and Tristan, you know, do their do their own thing. They'll talk about it themselves. Delhi as well. But you know, the rest of us, if they decide to tell stories, we're just we're just happy to sit and listen. For sure. Um, so it's worth noting, Justin and I are uh, about as big of Cavs fans as you'll find, and it might shock you to hear that Justin had never rewatched this game with all of his free time. Really? No. I, I was very, very concerned that if I watched this game again, uh, that the result would change. It's an irrational fear, <laughs> but even even in the rewatch, the the nerves were still kicking in for this one. What's crazy is you guys sent me uh, you sent me the link to rewatch it, and I rewatched it, and like I I felt kind of the same way. Like, oh man, this game's coming. This game's close. Dude, the tension, there were there were times I was sitting next to my wife uh, while she was uh, with, the, with the baby watching one of her shows, and there were a couple times where I kind of like put my head in my hands for a second, and she's like, <laughs> bro. <laughs> it's a, it happened it's four already. years. Four <laughs> years ago. It's just, uh, it, it's wild that it happened. It's wild that we still, I think that really more than like just the emotional connections, because, you know, the fact that you had mixed feelings about it almost, like that kind of tells me that. There was just this was maybe the most dramatic game I'll ever see. Do you think that's <laughs> a fair summary of what this game was? Like the drama, the the storylines at stake were just felt so important at the time. At the time, no, it they're still important to this day. I mean that that yeah. that uh that Warriors team would be the greatest team to ever have played. Mm-hmm. They would have. I mean, they were what they were what, seventy three and nine? They would have been the greatest team yeah. to ever play, but yeah, you know, you gotta win it all. 
Now they're not. I still consider them the best regular season team of all time. Like that was one thing that struck me watching this game. I, I was watching. And I remember in the time, obviously they're kind of that perfect heel and they embrace that aspect. But I'm watching them and and I see Draymond competing out there, Clay, Steph, and everything that they were able to do. And it, it's funny looking back on it. It's like. I have warm feelings for those guys. Like they do play a beautiful brand of basketball. And I think Carter and myself both consider ourselves to be basketball fans that just happen to like the Cavs a little more than anyone. But just the the level of competition between these two historic teams, it it really kind of struck me, especially as we started watching even the first quarter, it just jumped off the screen. No, I completely agree with you. The fact that we were like both almost thinking fondly about the Warriors, I said to Justin uh, while we were doing prep for this, I was like, no wonder Bird and Magic ended up good friends. <laughs> like, when you, like when you go to war like that uh, for so many consecutive years, um, it just kind of builds into your DNA. And like that's like its own version of a relationship. Like I never hated a player like I hated Draymond Green. Uh, as a Cavs fan in those years and like to watch him like he he got an and one I think sometime in the third quarter and flexed and then flex makes his quick move stops underneath layup is good and one 21 points for Draymond Green I remember I was so mad at the time and I had like kind of like a wry smile creep across my face like (laughs) it's just a you know like uh you know distance uh makes the absence makes the heart grow fonder I guess but it's time yeah. to actually jump in to talk about this game. We're going to break it down quarter by quarter, uh, kind of pick our, our big idea uh, of what we thought made that quarter interesting, and then uh, you know share a few stray observations. Uh, you are free to share as many as much or as little as you'd like, Larry. But let's start with that first quarter, because in my opinion, the theme of the first quarter was everyone was so fucking nervous. Yes, there were good plays, but there was just a sense of tightness in everyone's chest. Like everyone was running, was playing a little too fast. It really wasn't the prettiest quarter. And it just felt like everyone had to, for a minute, like like adjust to the moment. Like at one point uh, when Simmons did his podcast, Bill Simmons did a podcast with Winhorst about this game. And they mentioned the uh, Steve Kerr mic'd up segment where he's basically like, guys, we, I get it. It's game seven. But we got to we got to slow down, Larry. Did you kind of feel that tension uh, watching the game? And like, what's it like to be in a moment where I mean, you you played on a finals team in 2018, and what's it like in those moments when you really have to like parse through all that excess energy that you've got? So it is. It is like obviously, you know, anybody that gets the finals, you've played basketball for the good portion of your life, and so all you do is dream and think about what it would be to get to this level. And then you're there and you're just so wound up and nervous about, you know, uh, about this game that like you get in the game and then it takes a few minutes to just realize like, it's just normal basketball. Like, Oh, it's just basketball. Like I thought, I thought I was going to be, you know, curing all the world's problems right here, but it's just basketball. And then that, I think that's what we right. saw in the first quarter is just like, you know, everybody kind of realizing that like, you know, taking a step back, a deep breath and like, all right, you know, now we can settle in and just play because this is just basketball at the end of the day. No, absolutely. And one thing that jumped out to me is I always, you remember the block, the shot and the stop. Um, you remember J.R. Smith going off in the third quarter Um, but when it comes to Tristan Thompson, like I always think of game six as being kind of his signature game and, and the game that 
alone should justify his number going into the rafters one day. But that first quarter, it is amazing. And the first five minutes there, I think he blocks like two shots from Azili at the rim. To Azili, who misses from point blank range. Azili blocked by Thompson. He switches on to Steph and forces a bad miss. As Curry's way off the mark, Thompson gets the rebound for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he switches on to Harrison Barnes, does the same thing there. And that was obviously something that you were tasked with as well. Uh, when you were in the finals, because you also have that ability to guard multiple positions to switch on to perimeter players. What's the the pressure like when you know that um, just one half second late, this Warriors team is able to capitalize on on any mistakes? Well, there's it's just that's what makes that team so uh, so ridiculously hard to defend. Is like you just you know Steph gives you know there was one possession I think it was in the first quarter where it was Clay he gave the ball up. And or Tristan was guarding him. He gave the ball up, and then mm-hmm. what? Like a lot of people don't realize is once those guys, Steph and Clay, give the ball up, that's when your job starts. Because then right. they, because no, then absolutely. they just sprint around the floor trying to relocate, and you know Draymond's trying to find them the whole time. So like, as soon as they give up the ball, you've just got to. That's when your job really starts. And Tristan, I mean, you know, I, I, he he was obviously the numbers numbers are numbers, but. You know, Tristan was just as valuable to that team as any of those, as any of the, you know, the big three, obviously. Yeah, it's so funny to me because this uh, summer was the cap spike summer when Tristan got his big deal. And so many people were so concerned about the number. And I, Justin and I were always on, like, the, leading the charge of, like, they literally cannot win the title if he's not on that team in 2016. Mm-hmm. I agree. No, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny you mentioned them off ball. I actually had this, I think, in a third quarter observation. But there's just little things like when, you know, because Clay hasn't played all year. Steph finally just came back. There's just little things that you kind of forget. And if there's one thing I noticed about Clay that he's so good at, and I, I wonder if you could speak to this, is he's so good at, at disguising what he's going to do when he's off ball. Like, he'll come around a curl – and and catch and catch the ball in a handoff, and every part of his body language is chill. Like he's gonna survey and read for a second, and maybe attack off the dribble, and then all of a sudden he's firing. And I feel like they got two or three threes in the first quarter of just tricking the Cavs defense with body language alone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're, you know, obviously everybody knows, everybody in the entire world knows, Steph and Clay want to shoot. And that's what they're great at. That's what separates them. And so everybody's playing them to like, all right, you know, take away the shot. So, you know, when they have the ball and they're engaged, you just got to be, you got to be so close to them that they can't really take, they can't really get their shot off. But what, what makes, what makes them so impressive and Clay especially who does it so well is, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, whether he has the ball, but like the biggest thing that stands out to me is like when he doesn't have the ball, like he'll pass the ball to Draymond or something and then just, you know, you're in your you're in your athletic position, and he'll like stand up from that for just a second, and then put his arms down to the side, and just like he's doing nothing, and then break again. And the second, he, it, it, just that half a second, makes the defender stand up a little bit. And once you do that, it's over. And it's just, they're so good at it. We'll be right back with more Larry Nance Jr. after a quick message from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, betonline.ag, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. 
or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All are open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. And if you're into props and entertaining betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website today and join for a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. I think that it's probably time to jump into some stray observations about that first quarter. At the end of the first, the Cavs were up one 23-22, which kind of seems impossible given how 2017 and 2018, the scoring just kept ramping up higher and higher. Like mm-hmm. these 45-point quarters, there were 31 points scored in the fourth quarter combined, mm. uh, which seems impossible. But <laughs> So basically, I feel like the entire first quarter was about trying to just – adjust to the tempo, adjust to the moment. Justin, do you have any fun stray observations, any notes that you would like to bring up about that first quarter? Well, it definitely was a feeling out process. Like you could tell with LeBron, he was trying to play chess out there. Like he was trying to get everybody involved because he knew. It it seems like he understood that in order to beat the Warriors, you'd need a full team effort. Um, Obviously, the the injuries and, and other factors led to him kind of shouldering a massive load the year before. So I think there, there was some learning from that experience. Larry, could you speak to when you're out there with LeBron, just kind of the, the I, I guess there, I would assume that there would be some pressure because you, you know that you, if you get open, he's going to make the right decision. He's going to find you. Um, but is there pressure in that moment or do you find that it kind of elevates you because you, you know that if you put in the, the dirty work, uh, you're, you're going to get rewarded with opportunities? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Because obviously, and like those are two separate things in my mind. Like when I, when, when, I right. got to, when I got to be out there with him, like, yeah, you know, my job was, my job was fairly easy. Come in, you know, come for Tristan and basically fill that void. You know, fill the dirty work, do all that energy stuff. And, and um, you know, you just, the pressure that you, you could see him out there controlling the game, you know, controlling every single aspect of what goes on on the court, defensively, offensively. And so it kind of puts pressure on you to, like, all right, if he's doing all of this, I better be doing my little job. You know, my, and your job just seems so small in comparison to, like, what he's doing, but it's so important. And, um, but, yeah, of course, there's, there's, not a, uh, there's not a better player, I don't know, to ever play the game that – you know, if you're open, you're going to get the ball, you know, whatever situation. So, like, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you see him doing so much and putting so much work and, and, and effort into this game. And, um, you know, you you get an open look for him, and all you want to do is just knock this thing down just to, just to shoulder a little bit of the load, to make it, you know, to make his job easier, to, to you know, to help, to help this guy be great. And so, you know, it's a, it's – yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. If I could get another chance to do it, I would. But, you know, I know there are some guys that, that you know, don't really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, but that, I, I'm certainly not one of those guys. I, I, treasured, I treasured every moment of it. No, for sure. As we would hope that you would. Uh, I, <laughs> you know, I, leadership is uh, – reacting to certain people's leadership, it's always going to be a case-by-case basis. But I would hope that even the people who didn't love it at least appreciate uh, – his skill level for what it was because there really isn't a chess master 
anywhere close to his level, except maybe Chris Paul, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of just completely maneuvering pieces around the court. My big question, though, one observation that I, I know Carter had the, the same one for the first quarter, and I, I think you, Larry, have, have been around a lot of these players. Who would you say is the most confident shooter? Because J.R. Smith attacking Draymond uh, off the dribble, like that's the type of confidence you need in a role player. Mm-hmm. And you've also played with Jordan Clarkson, who, who's incredibly skilled at getting his own shot off. Uh, Nick Young, who is obviously not short on confidence. <laughs> who would you say is the most confident uh, player that you've played with when it comes to just creating those looks for themselves? Um, the most, so the most confident in terms of getting their own look, like getting their own shot? Yeah. Right. Uh, oh, geez. To me, it's, it's well, either, it's I guess there is Kobe. Let's, let's not count Kobe. <laughs> well, I was, yeah, I was going to say I played with, yeah, I did play with last year, Kobe, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll set put him in a separate category. Um, right. Yeah. In the role player department. Yes, exactly. But to me, it, it's, it's either between, it's either between JC and JR, but probably I would say, I would say Swiss. Smith corner three. That's good. It's a it's a fine line between confidence and cockiness, and I mean he's like the shots he shoots and the shots he makes. Like he he might be the best tough shot maker I've ever been around. And to shoot some of those shots, you've got to have irrational confidence. J.R. Smith answers back with a three of his own. Five to shoot. Smith three pointer. Got it. J.R. Smith his fifth of the night. He's got. Dude, I really do think the drive on Draymond in this first quarter. It's a total nothing in the grand scheme of things, but. Like so few role players uh, have the capacity to both stay in their role depending on the game, but then attack the mismatches when they think their team needs them. And that was JR in a lot of this series. I mean, yeah. they, they were stowing Steph on him a lot. He was posting him up. He was just doing a lot of dirty work on Steph. And then just to be crazy enough to attack peak Draymond off the dribble when Draymond was just eating dude's lunch the entire season. It's like that kind of confidence, like you just need that from a role player. Like, like I feel like the blogosphere is so obsessed with these low usage, three and D kind of paradigms. And yeah, they have value, but you also have to like think you can do more uh, <laughs> when the stakes in the playoffs. get higher. Yeah, yeah, as the stakes get higher, you just can't be passive. Uh, any other uh, uh, stray observations I got? Uh, I completely forgot how brutal Golden State split cuts were. Like oh, man. they just feel like unguardable. I mean, can, can you speak to what it's like to try to like figure that out? They don't just feel unguardable. They are truly unguardable. <laughs> they, they, they don't, yeah, they don't just feel that way. It's because they, I mean, you've got, so you have two of arguably the best, what do you want to say? Three, five shooters to ever play the game in Steph and Clay. And then probably top three passing big men to ever play the game. Right. And so, Good luck. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> they're probably, they're probably going to, and, and you had a more difficult version of that with Kevin Durant as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, I, I, I don't, let's not even get started on that series. Cause that was, man. <laughs> you, you hold on. You said, you said this team was the best team of all time. I, I don't know. Oh, I, th- that, that is certainly the most talented team of all time. It's, uh, that is the most talented team. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, you, you just, you're probably, you probably they probably know if someone's going to go high, it's probably going to be Steph because then they mm-hmm. it, it, you know you probably want Clay going to the slipping to the basket more than you'd want Steph slipping to the basket. But at the same time, like they both could slip high. 
or they, mm-hmm. you know, Steph could pin in for Clay. Like, there's just so many different options off of it. It just, I mean, to me that that like that is right along the right up there with like Phil Jackson's triangle in terms of like good luck. No, uh, absolutely. Um, moving on from the first quarter, though, the the second quarter. I forgot how hopeless it felt when Draymond Green was just hitting all of those threes. Back up top, Green sets for three. Got it! He had missed his previous ten coming into game seven. Green for three. Bang! Five for five! This was probably Draymond's best game. He he made up for the, the lost time with uh, missing out on game five by just playing out of his damn mind in this one. It, it, it really... I, I completely forgot how hopeless it felt. Even when they got a seven-point lead, I believe, going into halftime, that this thing kind of felt like it was getting out of the Cavs' hands there. Yeah, I mean, when you've got, when you've got you know, you've got Steph and Clay. Those are, you, you go into that game, any game, and if you say, all right, you know, going into halftime, Draymond's their leading scorer. If, if you would have, you ask anybody in the league, and this is no insult to Draymond because he's, you know, he's an incredible player in his own right, but you go into halftime. Mm-hmm saying, all right, Draymond's leading them in scoring. I guarantee you everybody on every team is going, awesome. That's exactly what we want. But to go into halftime with 22 points is like, that's something that you can't even plan for. And so that, I mean, yeah, I I definitely feel what you're saying in terms of like demoralizing because like we just had an unbelievable half defensively on those two. And this guy, this is the one that's going to kill us. (laughs) <laughs> from the perimeter Draymond Green's first half stats 22 points 6 rebounds 5 assists 2 steals 8 of 10 from the field 5 of 5 from 3 mm. it was genuinely insane 4 of those 3's came in the second quarter uh, I would venture to say he has not had a 4 3 point quarter since I really do think that this is the best game Draymond Green's ever played and it's pretty insane that it didn't end up in a win for the Warriors when you really look at it through that perspective. Yeah, you're right. The other thing that jumped out to me was just how they had an answer for everything. Like, I remember the Shumpert four-point play there. Behind the back, kicks it out, Shumpert. Shumpert counted and won. Chance for a four-point play. But I didn't remember on the next play, Steph had an and one layup. Curry gets it from Green, gets away from Shumpert, layup. The Warriors were just clicking on all cylinders, and obviously both teams were tight. Um, but you just forget the depth of that team. And Sean Livingston, I, I think, is kind of one of the, the forgotten great role players. And just the way he was re- able to reinvent his career. Uh, Leandro Barbosa, I, I know he hit a back-breaking three at the end of the half as well. And- Out to Barbosa, puts it in. Ten three-pointers for Golden State. Largest lead of the half. That's the time where I was like, Oh, I'm I'm regretting this rewatch because maybe the result is going to change. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. There were answers all over the place, though. Like this quarter was all about those kinds of answers. Like, uh, like Shump hit that four point play, and Steph immediately answers with a killer three, and you're like, oh, I kind of forgot that that happened. And then Dre hits his like I think mm-hmm. third three in a row, and they're starting to get some distance. Kyrie hits an absolute crazy and one. They really just kept together. I think the only other big big note from the second quarter. And it really goes when you look at when you read the reporting that happened after this game. Uh, everyone mentioned that Tyron Liu went up and challenged LeBron James at half and said, "You got to give me more," uh, which just seems insane. And then you look at the numbers, and he had a weird first half. He had four turnovers, 
uh, 12 points on 11 shots. Uh, he, he really wasn't as sharp as compared to the second half. And I really think, like, you had you, you played under Lou. Like, what kind of balls does it take for a coach to go challenge LeBron like that? And do you think very many coaches would do that? Um, gosh, would I put it this way? I wouldn't have said a word to him. <laughs> I don't think there's any players that would have said a word to him. But um, yeah, t- honestly, like, T. Lou, in my opinion, does not get enough credit for for the job he did. 100% agree. You know, getting to play for him the little bit I got to, he, uh, especially in the playoffs, like just his scheming of, of different defenses, scheming of players and stuff like that, I think he's one of the most underrated and underappreciated player, or coaches just because, you know, it's the whole LeBron narrative. Like, you know, LeBron's the coach and all that stuff. It, it's, that's so not true. And T. Lou, you know, I, I obviously wasn't in the locker room, but like I would have – you know, if any if any coach that I've played for would have the uh, would have the gall to you know to challenge Bron, it would definitely be it would definitely be T. Lou, and just the just the fact that he responded like that. And again, I don't know if he actually did do that. If that's what the reporting says, then I believe it. But um, right, you, you weren't just, there. I wasn't there, and so like I yeah. don't he, rub it in, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I meant. T. Lou T. Lou is the man, in my opinion. He's uh. I, I I think he, he needs more credit than he's getting. All right. So we probably should keep moving because we have, a, we have two more quarters to get through. Uh, but I do want to throw out a couple quick stray observations. Justin, jump in with yours after, after I get through mine. Uh, mm-hmm. Could not believe Mo Williams played in this game. Completely forgot that. <laughs> It warmed my heart as a, a Mo Williams fan. It, it was a connection to the first era. It, it was a it was a very nice connection for me. Uh, yeah, completely forgotten that Delhi had gotten benched after like game four or five of that series, uh, and Mo, who had not played all year, suddenly was playing in game seven of the finals. Crazy <laughs> shit. Uh, Larry, did you notice this? I wondered if you did. Kevin Love's three point release is a lot faster than it used to be. It's like he was kind of so loading those faster. things up. Yeah, he was. I mean. Kayla, I can't imagine now if you put if you let put K Love on a on a team you know on a team with Braun right now I bet you he would get he would get eleven threes a game because he was really setting and loading those things I mean it you know obviously you know obviously he, he's a heck of a shooter but man I would love to see it now yeah it's more just like especially like with that Warriors defense specifically because they were so good at swarming and closing out but like now you see him he doesn't need any space to get that three off and guys can be flying at him and he still gets it off without having to adjust his form. And he really didn't have that in his arsenal in 2016. No, he didn't. Not at all. Not at all. But I mean, that's, that's definitely one thing I noticed too, is like, Caleb is really setting these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh so that's, those are my stray observations. You got anything else for the second quarter or should we just move on to the third, Justin? Um, only thing I want to add is, I forgot how gross K-Love's beard was for that series. It was a little more unruly than I remembered. And man, was he playing his ass off in that series. Like he had the concussion earlier in the series. And I, I think people forget that that likely had some impact on him or at least threw him out of the rhythm that he had coming into the series. But he was just scrapping for everything. He was killing uh, the Warriors on the offensive boards. And uh, all those effort plays were really making a difference. Uh, one other thing is I, you said it earlier, but uh, I, I think it was the second quarter that 
the fast break Kyrie finished uh, left-handed off the off the glass and won. Oh my God! Yeah. Off the glass and won. Gorgeous move for Kyrie Irving. Unbelievable! I, I, I so you guys sent me the link, and I ended up actually going back and watching it. <laughs> and uh, I mean, look, I'm stuck. I'm quarantined. I got nothing else to do. And so, um, you know, glad I, we could profit off your boredom. Yes, yes, of course. And so, like, I was watching that, and it was just. As a as as a basketball fan, that finish there are I don't think there's I don't think there's five players in the league that could finish that. The degree yeah. of difficulty with the the Kyrie shots that he made, like the, I think his first shot was one where he kind of um, had a little bit of a step back uh, over Clay. Over Clay? Yeah. yeah, that that one was absurd. Just everything he was doing in that game, he had a, a nice ball fake. I think he faked out Verjao to to go off glass. Um, it, it was it. What he's able to do, his, his bag of tricks is, it, it's right up there all time, in my opinion. Yeah, I really think like for him, it's like it's not even just the finishes; it's the gathers that are just like he he gathers from the weirdest angles mm-hmm. too. On like on that fast break, he kind of had the ball like cradled under his armpit, yeah, and then like somehow like off the wrong foot, his arms, to, yeah. yeah, off the wrong foot, just like insane high degree of difficulty stuff that like i'm not sure people like all the way realize how hard that shit is right uh, and it is really really impressive but it's time to move to the third quarter uh and i really think that the third quarter was for me it was just surviving there were huge runs huge answers uh in that third quarter uh they the Cavs at one point fell behind eight jr hit two straight threes to keep them in the game Genuinely think they lose the series if he doesn't hit those three. Smith tries another three. That's good. James passes it off. Smith another three. That's good. J.R. Smith back to back threes and eight points here to start the third quarter. And then later in the quarter, the Cavs are taking control. They go on an 11 0 run at one point, which for a game that was this close kind of feels impossible. Uh, But as soon as they get through that 11 0 run, the Warriors answer with a couple quick threes from, from Clay, from Curry. And and it just like no one would allow the other team to get any distance uh, to the point where Cleveland ended up winning the qu- quarter by six. But it just it just felt so neck and neck. And it was really like this was like all will uh, at this point between those two teams. Uh, and I just I just it was just a total slugfest. No, I I completely agree. Those J that JR quarter, like to me, that's always going to be what stuck out in my mind. I, I think sometimes that gets forgotten. Um, Cavs fans will always remember that. I, but he's kind of had those sneaky moments through the playoffs. The year before, he, he had that in the series against Atlanta, where he just went berserk from three, and it, it was those degree of difficulty shots that you talked about earlier, Larry, where it. The, the confidence to, to keep pulling, to keep shooting it, and keep the Cavs in the game, like, that that was absolutely essential. Right, just the shots where he lets them go, and, as you know, you're sitting on the couch like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> some of those shots were insanely hard. Draymond was flying at him. Some, some steps, like those step-aside threes that are just, like, just perfect uh, like momentum changers. I mean, I I think I'll always really appreciate Jr. for this quarter because it just felt like the game was getting ready to slip away. They were down seven at half. They had gotten it close, and the Warriors had pushed a date with a couple threes. And like, you just kind of forget how I, I'm gonna miss Oracle Arena. I'll say that that's a wide angle takeaway. Is like 
Curry threes felt that much more backbreaking when the crowd would just erupt and it just it felt like the Cavs were just clawing and climbing uphill against like this insurmountable force. So those two threes from JR were just amazing. The one thing I wanted to talk about from a schematic standpoint in this third quarter, because it's really when I started to feel it, the battle, uh, the amount of physicality on Steph Curry from the Cavs yeah. on both ends of the court was pretty fucking outlandish. <laughs> they, beat, they beat the hell out of him. Yeah. Which is awesome. Like, like, like uh, there was a play where he went, he went to go around the curl and he just got hip checked like onto the ground. They called a foul for which he didn't get a lot of fouls in fairness. Uh, and they, they hit him on every curl. They were pulling his hip back as he went around, grabbing his jersey, hitting him with the elbows. And then what I what I really, like, forgot about was the battle it took because everything the Cavs did on offense by that third quarter moving forward was, who's Steph guarding? Who mm-hmm. That person's going to go screen for LeBron. And less the screens, but more the battle to get to the screen – where he knows what they he knows what JR is doing. <laughs> JR is trying to walk up to the guy to Iggy to screen for him and Steph doesn't want that. So they're literally just shoving each other at the at the elbow. Oh yeah. Uh, tr- trying desperately to stop. It it's funny because even though KD did change the uh the complexion of that matchup, I also noticed the Warriors really hadn't figured out how to guard that yet. No, not at all. I mean, but it was Steph was in a full blown box out to not be put in screen. <laughs> like I don't think I've ever seen that before. No, like, never. Like, but by 2017, like yes, KD changed everything offensively, but I also think defensively they did something interesting where they started just having him hedge insanely hard, uh, and just and just trusting their team defense to to scramble around, uh, and. That felt like so much more effective than what this ended up being, which was, yeah, the Cavs would burn shot clock getting to the screen, but LeBron could just control the pace that way. And that's what that kept them in that third quarter to me, is, is just generating those, those, uh, those switches. And LeBron had five assists and zero turnovers in this quarter. Mm. He only went one for five from the field, but he was plus six overall because he was so smart in how he attacked Steph. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what – that's what, you know, play just getting to be in the playoffs that one time, you know, the, the one time I, I, when I first got here, it is all matchups. I mean, it is all matchups. It, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. who, what team you're playing. Like, um, it, it, just when we were playing, you know, when we were playing the Celtics, it was like, all right, you know what, bring, uh, you know, you find one guy that Bron liked the matchup. And so who, it didn't matter if he was guarding me, if he was guarding Kevin, if he was guarding uh, George Hill. You just that that guy was getting picked on, and so I mean, you almost kind of saw, you kind of saw the Warriors starting to try to do that with K Love in that in towards the end of the game by switching, you know, by switching Steph. But I, you know, Kevin decided to move his feet. <laughs> Actually, that kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier with uh, with Lou. That seemed to be one of 
the things that the Cavs did really well under him was kind of finding creative ways to exploit uh, those mismatches and, and to create uh, situations where they have an advantage, where they, they get the switches they wanted. Uh, can you kind of speak towards uh, kind of the, the things that Ty would do to, to open that up? Or was that kind of primarily LeBron just reading the floor and knowing um, what uh, adjustments to make and how to attack the defense? Uh, I mean, it was a little bit of both. You know, because you know, obviously, you know, Braun is one of the best basketball minds there's there is or will ever be. Um, so you know, it was him. It was him to a certain extent, but at the same time, you know, you've got to have a head coach that is, you know, open minded enough to go. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I and uh, you know, T. Lou is certainly just. You know, obviously, he had his schemes and he had his game plans, but at the same time, nobody knew more than he did that the game. You know, you can scheme and you can plan and you can do all you can plan and plan and plan until you're blue in the face, but the game, but the players are going to win the game or lose the game. And so, like, you know, if it came, if, you know, if it came down to it, he was always going with his players. You know, whatever, sure, you know, I'm with it, let's go. And I think it was very, you know, that's very apparent right there. Yeah, I think that the thing I was actually just talking to someone about uh, Ty Lue. Because uh, I think we were actually talking about the uh, the Nets opening and why Lou could be a fit there, you know, with Kyrie and KD. And uh, something that I think, like, goes kind of unnoticed with Lou is, like, to me, uh, so much of the, the biggest name coaches, there's just, like, a little bit of ego involved with it where it's like, oh, we're going to run my system and we're going to figure out and I know the right way to play, so we're going to do it my way and that's our road to success. And, like, Lou is, like, in a lot of ways, I feel like not a prideful coach in that way. Like, he doesn't need the credit as long as he's getting the results. Mm -hmm, Like, he doesn't need to run a a beautiful Princeton offense if the Cavs are getting just as many points per 100 possessions, uh, letting LeBron abuse mismatches. And then defensively, he doesn't care about giving Marcus Smart 30 open threes in a series, (laughs) uh, even though it looks bad to give a guy wide open shots. Or or Lance Stevenson, I, I remember that yes. definitely oh. in the 2018 playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that was that. Like I just, that was our game plan. Is, hey, if Lance can beat us, he can beat us. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I just out. feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of coaches don't do that. They 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 are so obsessed with perfection and and controlling the process that they'll actually kind of shoot their team in the foot and and needlessly complicate things. So I do think that's uh, something that we should give Lou some additional credit for stray observations. Third quarter. I'm going to run through mine. You guys can run through yours after cause I'm selfish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Observation number one, poor Festus just really couldn't hang. There Ooh. was a, he was getting killed. Uh, he started the third quarter, just like he started the first, uh, got played off the floor pretty quick. He very quickly got, uh, when he subbed back in for a short while, Kyrie just cooked him off the dribble and his body language was just like, I can't, I can't hang. I mean, he had had those knee injuries and he had really lost some some spring in his step. So I'm very sympathetic. Like I made the joke about dunking on him earlier, but he really had lost some of that athleticism due to the injuries he was dealing with. It ended up functionally ending his career. And mm-hmm. he just could not hang in his body language after Kyrie pretty much just toasted him off the dribble, off the switch. Mm, yeah, where he uh, went baseline. Was, yeah, was just like, he's like, yep, I can't, I can't do this. Um other than that, uh, my other, my only other one for this is when Kyrie hit that and one over Dre and does this big flex uh, celebration before realizing that Dre accidentally poked him in the eye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fast green, the foul, shot's good, and one. 
Oh, what a sweet move from Kyrie Irving. It was just like pure adrenaline. He's like, fuck yeah, fuck. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, that, that hurt. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, wait. He actually got me in the eye. Because it wasn't like he was call- selling it for a foul. Yeah. It was like a very genuine reaction. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I got for third quarter strays. No. You got anything, Justin or Larry? Uh, Larry, go ahead if you have any. I was, I mean, you know, more of a – it was something that I forgot about before going back and watching the game. Uh, how – RJ was pretty important. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize it until going back and watching it. And like, man, he was, he was, he, his old ass was moving. Dude, he he gave them exactly <laughs> what they needed in those minutes. He was huge. I'm sure you're never going to be able to bring that up to him. Um, but yes, he was absolutely essential uh, in this series. Like he he gave them some great minutes there. Yeah, the box score doesn't show you that either, which is exactly. why like these rewatches are really fun. He had two points on one of four shooting in 25 minutes. Nine rebounds is a lot for a team that was down to playing seven men and one true center in Tristan Thompson. Because <laughs> mm. uh, really, they played eight, but Mo played five minutes and was quickly not to be seen again. So like, so like ultimately, like the fact that he was so uh, – had so much utility. Like it just feels like Richard in those last couple years was just like, he could just summon it for like individual games where it's like, no, no, I'm still like an absolute freak of an athlete. Yeah. I mean, the, I'll never forget again, totally off topic, but like, I'll never forget the, uh, the Christmas day game when he, um, oh, when he the two dunks. On. Yes. Dunked like, on uh, clay and Katie. Right, it was like, you are 39 years old. What are you doing? Man, he he could summon it. He just had that, you know. He just tap into his veteran, his veteran superpower every once in a while. Yeah, I just feel like people think that when players age, it's that they they lose it. It's just they can't summon it at the yeah, same frequency as, as frequently. Yeah, and, yeah. and like Vince Carter always says that he can dunk until he's a hundred. It's just the coming down. That's the problem. He, he doesn't like <laughs> landing as much at this stage of his career. Who is more obnoxious about bringing up the, the championship? Was it RJ or is it Channing? Oh, it's Channing. Well, RJ had retired, right? I didn't, I didn't get to play with RJ, but I have spent, uh, I spent a fair amount of time around him, you know, just, you know, via broadcasting. When I lived in LA, he used to play the beach volleyball down there with Luke and those guys. So I've spent some time around him, but Channing is, Channing's the oh, I'm like I'm sad. I'm sad he retired, but at the same time, it's like uh, now I don't have to hear you talk. <laughs> you know, I, I can he's, see he's how that would be a relief. <laughs> yes, he's the best, but he yeah, the sneaky savior of the locker room. One hundred percent. As much as I hate to admit it, one hundred percent. Channing is the man. Just having a dude everyone likes—that's just such a such an amazing cheat code for any team chemistry, whether it's sports or. Literally just the office. Like, having one dude with a high approval rating goes a long way. Oh, it's invaluable. Um, let's move on to the – actually, Justin, do you have any strays before we move on to the, to, to the, to the big show? Um, I guess it actually kind of bridges the two because Kyrie hit his first three of the game, and Kyrie was dealing with that foot problem he got at the end of game six. Um, and Which people forget about. People do forget about that one. Um, Steph also – I. I know he was a little limited and I actually want to go back and watch some games uh, from the regular season that year because 
he was making some huge defensive plays. Like, JR tried to do that throwback lob to LeBron that he did in game six. And, and Steph mm-hmm. ended up jumping in the air and blocking that and then going coast to coast. He, he was making some really, really great plays in this game. And I, I, I'm one that loves to make the 3-1 jokes. I, I, I like making jokes wherever I can find them, even if it's uh, at, at the Cavs' expense. I, I'll... I, I like to have fun with it, but Steph was a lot better in this game than I remembered. It's obviously there, there's a couple moments that that people remember uh, the the turnover with Clay um, and Kevin getting the stop there, but he he was really playing his ass off in this game. Um, but then in the fourth quarter, Mike Green uh, mentioned that Kyrie had outplayed Steph in that series, and that's just one of those things where obviously Steph, in my opinion, he's kind of the, the prototype for everything you would want in a modern point guard. Like it's, it's amazing what that guy can do, his balance of getting other guys involved and whatnot. Uh, but having Kyrie able to, in a seven game series, elevate to that level was just so huge for this because they needed absolutely every one of his baskets and it was almost all coming against perfect defense. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that, uh, Steph is really an interesting bridge into the fourth. Uh, and more specifically that Steph was not on the floor when the fourth quarter started. Um, I think now is probably the time before we start jumping into the, the, the piece de resistance of the, the trio of talking about uh, both uh, kind of focusing on the Warriors failures here a little bit. Um, Steph playing, not starting in the quarter is really symptomatic of something that, Steve Kerr is probably going to catch hell about for the rest of his career. He played 10 guys in this game. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm started- somewhat sympathetic to that too, because you look at Bogut going down and I, I think that's always forgotten about Iguodala was dealing with some back pain in that game. And you start game six with, okay, we're, we're putting our best five out there and, and they lost those minutes in game six. So he, he's really scrambling for things. We've mentioned Festus wasn't quite feeling himself. So it's one of those things where it's easy to kind of armchair quarterback there. Um, And maybe some mistakes were made, but it's also just, it's a testament to just how competitive this series was that Kerr's trying to find any answer he can uh, in those final moments. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's really interesting. I mean, ultimately you probably needed to go down with the ship a little bit more than you did. I mean, I, I, I'm sympathetic to this, but Steph Curry played 39 minutes. Um, I just, if, if, if I'm a coach, I'm not trying to go out in a game seven with my best player playing less than 40. Harrison Barnes played 29 minutes, and I know he was in a funk, but man, that's just crazy to me. Uh, <laughs> the fact that, and I wonder if maybe if this series were played today, Harrison Barnes at the five would have been a thing we would have seen a little bit more. Like, Absolutely. Do you like Larry? Do you think that Kerr would have been more empowered to play uber small uh, and just not worry about Barajao or Azili on the floor? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the world. I think. I, I think. For, I, I definitely think so. But you, I don't know. The Warriors are, are who changed basketball, the landscape of basketball today. Like, absolutely. If, if they're, you know, they changed the landscape of basketball. Like, I came in, got, I got drafted as an undersized. Uh, as an undersized three, four. Right. And now, you know, and now like several now years last year, now, now center. I, exactly. And the, it, that's all due to Draymond and, and, and Steve Kerr and those guys just switching up the landscape. 
So, you know, with how free thinking they've been in the past, you know, they've been in the past, Harrison would have definitely played some five. Well, you know what that makes me think of? And uh, I'm We're going to have to give some royalties to Bill Simmons podcast here pretty soon, but (laughs) he had uh, Steve Nash on to talk about the, uh, the hip check game when Ori uh, checked him into the bleachers mm-hmm. and Amari uh, and Dia got suspended. And Nash said, rewatching the game, he was just kicking himself for how slow they were playing. And like, like the fact that the, that the seven seconds are left sons, which were, which also revolutionized basketball. He's watching that thinking, man, we should have taken more threes. We should have run way more. Uh, it's kind of one of those things where I think this just happens with anyone who revolutionizes the game is there's always people who take that revolution and take it to its logical extreme. And that's clearly what's happened with what the Warriors did. And Draymond at the five is not even a revolution anymore. That's just the at, that's almost like what's expected. Right. Um, yeah. So I do think it's, I, so I am sympathetic, but also, Ooh, you got to play your guys more minutes than that. I, I can't <laughs> back off that, that, that general take. And at one point I noticed this because it is uh, because Jeff Van Gundy, I'm sure you're aware, does not criticize coaches. Mm-hmm. Never, ever, ever, ever. Uh, if you ever listen, it's there's refs, there's players messing up, there's the league messing up. <laughs> never coaches. I've never heard him actively criticize a coach. So when he said, uh, when Festus Azili checked in with about seven minutes left, he, go, he, he makes some comment like, and Festus Azili is back in the game. <laughs> he wasn't able to mask it. And interestingly, Azili goes back in the game. He was not able to mask it. And then LeBron draws the foul, hits the three free throws on him. Next possession, hits the step back three over him. The next stoppage of play, uh, Harrison Barnes is uh, at the scorer's table. And there's a stoppage of play. And, and <laughs> Van Gundy, with as much aggression as you can muster without actively bullying, says, Steve Kerr going back to Harrison Barnes, I'm sure for Azili. <laughs> so it, it is interesting, like, and I think Warriors fans are still hard on Steve Kerr for that, but at the, at the same time, like, it is hard to beat him up too much because this game was still very close. I mean, again, there were, they, the score was tied mm-hmm. pretty much the whole way through. Yeah, the, the uh, one thing that jumped out, though, in the fourth quarter was that LeBron kind of had the mentality of, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go out in this game without giving it my all. Like, I, I'm, I'm taking some shots here. I'm, the, the, the switch had flipped. It was, all right, I've been playing chess for a lot of the game, getting guys involved, as you mentioned, five assists to zero turnovers in the third quarter. And, and then it was just an, another gear in this quarter. Right. Let's, let's not forget that I'm still the best player in the world. That's, yeah. yeah, well, what's yeah. it like being out there? Because, uh, I mean, game one, 2018 finals, that's one, I still think that's one of the best games LeBron has played. What's it like being out there when LeBron is in that gear? Uh, it's, so, it's so hard to not just want to... Uh, it, so, you know what it almost, it almost felt like? So, um, Kobe's 60-point game, right? Mm-hmm. It almost felt like, because, you know, me, my job, Julius's job, you know, any, any guy that played, that pretty, our job was pretty much support this guy and whatever he needs, you do it. And it, like, obviously, to not, that, not to that extent, but, like, it felt very similar to, to that, to where, like, hey, this guy, is on a, this guy is on another level right now. 
get him the ball. Get to get a get, <laughs> let's go get these rebounds to get him the ball. Chase offensive rebounds to get him the ball. You know, get steals to get this guy the ball. You know, it was just very, you know, when a guy's in a zone like that, you just, I mean, you just do, do all you can to just keep the show going. I, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but I think it bears repeating again because it's absolutely bananas that the Warriors scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. Oh, my mm. God. Uh, and this was the best offensive team I had seen in my adult life mm-hmm. uh, by a pretty significant margin. Uh, felt I've never seen teams look more helpless to stop a team uh, up to that point. Larry, why do you think it is that this Cavs team, which at no point was ever an elite, elite, elite defensive team, was able to throw the Warriors off their game so much uh, by the time the series had concluded? Gosh, I tell you what, if I, if I knew the answer to that question, 2018 would have looked a whole lot different. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think the physicality that they threw at Steph, um, you know, I still think that being able to switch and have Tristan, you know, move with those guards is such a huge asset, um, mm-hmm. such a huge asset to me, but I don't, I don't really know. I was, I was thinking the same thing when you said, like, I watched the fourth quarter, but I didn't re- 13 points. Thir- I mean, 13 points is, that's ridiculous. At the 438 mark of the fourth quarter, the Warriors had 89 points. They did not score again the rest of the game. Mm, mm, mm. That, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to comprehend with a, a team that good. And obviously, game seven, final minutes, you, you know that one team's walking away with the championship. I, I can't even, I, I can't comprehend what that pressure is like. Larry, you did play in a game seven, though, multiple game sevens. What is that pressure like? It's, so you don't even feel like pressure or nervousness from like a, in-game perspective it's more so just like you see a loose ball and it's not like oh i'm like oh loose ball or you know i should go pick that up it's if i don't get this ball the world's about to end (laughs) or like it it, literally everything is just amplified like you don't feel like i didn't necessarily feel nervous it was just like this rebound coming off the rim if i don't get it our season could be over Everything right. was just, if I don't get it, our season can be over. If I don't this, if you don't this, it's just because that's it. One, you, you, if you don't win, you're going home. And so, like, it just, everything is just a life or death, life or death situation. So, like, you know, RJ having nine rebounds and, and, and Tristan doing what he was doing, it was just like, yeah, I get that. I get that because you have to have every little advantage, especially against a team like that. And so, you know, you just, sometimes you don't even realize it, but, like, like a loose ball could be could win you the game and you just you have to have everything Mm -hmm. absolutely everything running low on time so i think it's time to talk about the things that probably people came here to listen for the block the shot the stop the block i think it's really important to note that Kyrie uh misses a layup irving drives hop step inside floats it up misses rebound taken by iguodala Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James with the rejection. You know this better than anyone, Larry. Transition defense happens before the rebound is gotten, and it is a lot about floor balance. Mm-hmm. And I believe all five Cavaliers were underneath their own free throw line <laughs> against maybe the best transition team in the league. Uh, 
on that on that play. How superhuman is it for LeBron to be able to make that stop, knowing how far he had to go to 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 make that block on Iggy? Uh, it is one of those where, like you you know, obviously everybody remembers the block, but you know, I hadn't really really like watched his the speed at which he ran and jumped like. Normally, when somebody jumps, you have to slow down before you jump. You know what I mean? Like you got to slow down before you jump, so you don't, so you don't put your head through the backboard. Like so, you don't just, you know, run out of bounds and fall in the stands. But you know, he was in a full blown sprint, and man, I, I don't know. You can line. I don't care who you line up. Tyreek Hill, Usain Bolt. I don't care. They're they're not catching that man on that on that possession. It was that was a. Uh, one of the best athletes in the world doing what he does. And it was, man, just so impressive. I just think the difference for me on the block from his, cause he's like, this is one of his signature plays, right? Like we all yeah. know that LeBron gets chased on blocks, but difference for me is like the complete necessity. Like, cause like there were years in Miami where it was like almost predatory. He would be kind of hanging around the three point line when they were at the, at the elbow. And he's like, you watch him measuring them up. Uh, this was like every last inch he could find that he needed, he got. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was pure necessity and like pure, like top end speed. Uh, Justin, what was going through your mind, uh, both on the original and on the rewatch at this point, knowing full well that both of us were damn near blacked out drunk? <laughs> the fourth quarter, the fourth quarter is interesting to me because most of the Warriors' possessions in that stretch where they didn't score. I didn't look. I had my head in my hands and was listening to the call for the most part. Um, but I, I was like, okay, well, this is working. I'm superstitious. They're, they're not scoring any, at any point in the stretch. That was the one that I had watched because there was the turnover. Iguodala's going, and I'm like, okay, at this point, like, th- that's just a made basket. There, there's no real tension. We, we gave up that one. And then LeBron just comes out of nowhere to block it. it it's funny to me how it just kind of happens. Like when you're re-watching the game, it was like, oh, shit, well, there it is. Like it, it just kind of it jumped off the screen and it was just one of those moments where you're like the, the game kept going at that point. Like they, there wasn't a stop in action. The highlight wasn't up there. They, they just kept playing. Yeah. Your brain thinks, Oh, so we must've all like taken like five minutes to just process what happened there. <laughs> like it's at Rutgers or something like that, where the game just stops. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, I, I remember entering the fourth quarter, I, I had gotten a 12 pack for the game and I'm not that big of a drinker, to be honest. I'm no, I'm no Justin Rowan uh, <laughs> on the other side of this podcast, but I went up at the, the end of the third and stood and went to check. Uh, and I had finished the full 12 pack and I didn't even realize how close I was to doing so. Cause I was just anxiously sipping for three quarters. So I was just blasted. And when they got the rebound on that play, and I saw the transition play developing in slow motion. I was just like, it's over. Yeah. This is, this is going to start it. And then uh, I just like had to catch my breath after the block. <laughs> Let's move on to the shot. Irving and Curry, one-on-one. Irving puts it up. It's good. Kyrie Irving from downtown. And the Cavaliers by three. Larry, if the score is tied 89-89 in game seven of the NBA Finals, are you drawing up? An isolation step back three. No, I'm putting them. No, but at the same time, to me, like that. It do- what a ballsy thing to do. It doubles back on my point with T. Lou. Who does that? <laughs> I mean, who does that? You draw. You know what? Hey, let's bring Jr. up here. Here comes. Here comes Steph Curry about to switch. Got the switch and go. 
just go get it. You gotta, I mean, to me, like that, am I drawing that up? No, but at the same time, I, I'm sure he's seen some things at practice. And I'm sure those guys have seen some things at practice that, you know, just gives you the ultimate confidence in that guy. And, and man, I, that, that, it's just crazy that, that, that was that, that was the plan. Like, yeah. like LeBron literally stood in the corners basically with his hands on his knees. Mm-hmm. Like he, he sent RJ over to the weak side and RJ on a podcast uh, a couple years ago, I remember mentioned like, he was like, thank God he sent me away because I didn't want anything to do with that play. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and just to, to have such trust. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, with all the noise around Kyrie lately uh, and uh, all the negative press and how the Boston uh, era ended pretty ugly, I, feel, I think people are going to forget what a perfect compliment to LeBron he was. Do you think that's fair to say? Uh, Larry? Oh, very much so. I mean, it's just, it's so tough with, yeah, the, the narrative recently has definitely not, it definitely hasn't spun in his direction, but at the same time, like, it's so, you just can't forget how he was ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. there there hasn't been, you know, obviously, you know, D-Wade was an unbelievable, you know, unbelievable, you know, second second fiddle to LeBron's first. Um, you know, AD right now is, is awesome as well but I, I don't know if I don't know if any, to me Kyrie might have been the best just because you know LeBron being the guy that is going he's such a pure basketball player and basketball mind that even when it comes to game winning shots that he should take he's just going to make the right play right and you know for you know for yeah and for fans and coaches you want that ball like in your killer's hands and and he was the per to me, Kyrie's the perfect compliment to Brian because he wants that ball and you know what he's going to do with it. In so many ways, you know, uh, a lot of his strengths accentuated some of LeBron's parts of his game that he kind of had to like LeBron was never a shot maker kind of player. That wasn't really his, his archetype as a, as a young guy. Like that's why so many people love the magic comp while Kobe had the MJ comp, you know, like Kobe was a shot maker and LeBron uh, really, I don't think until, like late Miami and really I feel like even more recently as the last couple of years as athleticism has started to, to just like wane off just a little bit. Like he's really gotten even better as a shot maker, but having a pure shot maker to compliment a LeBron is super helpful. And then even the fact that uh, the thing that everyone bitches about, which is that Kyrie pounds the rock, given the fact that LeBron is t- carries such a burden offensively, uh, I think sometimes the best thing you could do for LeBron was have someone who could just pound the rock for a couple of possessions and let him catch his breath. Do you feel like that's the case? Like, do you think the NBA blogosphere that of people who talk about this kind of stuff kind of miss that aspect of it? I do think so. Yeah. Cause, cause bringing the ball, you know, something you don't even think of is, you know, bring the ball up with pressure. It takes a lot out of you. And especially, you know, it takes a lot out of, it takes a lot out of anybody, but especially when you're, you know, then then you have to go up there and run the offense. Then you've got to probably guard the best player. Then you've got to, you know, he just has so many, you know, he has to wear so many hats that if you have a player that can just relieve him of one of those just for however many possessions it gets, it's it's just so it's just so valuable. And so I I, I completely agree with that. I mean, there's like you said, there's there's the whole narrative around Kyrie right now, but I'm you know I'm just not buying it because you know his his uh like you said he's the per he's the perfect he's the perfect compliment to Brown. Mm-hmm. 
And, and Katie's a, a brilliant basketball mind as well. And it, I think it kind of speaks volumes when he chose to go play with Kyrie. Like he clearly has confidence in what he can do. Um, the final play, obviously the, the stop uh, from Kevin Love. And I like the no timeout. Call. It felt so perfect, especially on the rewatch scene, just how hard he was playing that whole game. Love picks up Curry. Curry steps back, fakes the three, drives again, shut off nicely, found a green, seven to shoot. Curry fakes the three, steps back, crossover, puts up a three. Rebound James with 30 seconds. And something that he's not known for, but just in that moment, digging deep and staying with Steph Curry, the unanimous MVP, it was just so fun to, to see Kevin come up with that play. Uh, Larry, can, can you speak to kind of what was going through your mind uh, upon rewatching that? It was going through. I'm like, K-Love plays defense? <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> no, I, I, I joke with him about this all the time because we recently had a game. Oh, gosh, I can't. I feel like the season's been out for like nine years now, but we recently had a game. It's it's crazy how that's happened. <laughs> we recently had a game where he denied the ball back from some guard. I don't know who it was, but some guard. And, you know, coach was praising him for it. And I was like, he, he's just playing that hard because he doesn't want to have to guard him on the ball. <laughs> and and so and so seeing that just just, you know, made me almost start laughing because, you know, I kid Kevin about that all the time, but you know, he was, I think, Ke- I think Kev wears a size 18 shoe and to see him, you know, to see him moving and, and, and stomping out there, dancing around with Steph. Cause like you knew he wanted to shoot a three. So like, you know, just moving and dancing around there with Steph and, and, you know, to, to force the kind of shot he did was, was just, I, I think just kind of speaks volumes to how bad those guys just, you, they just wanted it more. Yeah, it's and it's also a real testament to Steph. Just take the layup, but <laughs> I mean, if Steph wanted a layup, he had he had literally a wall to the rim. Yeah, it, he had it's, he it's had wild. It ten times over, uh, and just and just wanted to equalize it so bad. Um, and but you know that's kind of the way. Like those are the kind of little things that like that's where the middle game kind of plays in. Like he knew Steph wanted the three. He knew he didn't want to give up the three, probably more specifically than Steph wanting it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wasn't going to let it happen. And uh, they're, they're conflicting mindsets. And I'm sure Steph was thinking, I can get a fucking three on this guy. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I'm going to get a good look. He got the switch and was like, yes. <laughs> and then he got the ball back, if you remember. Love made him give up the ball. And Dre was like, no, 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 no. And fed him right back and still didn't get it. Mm-hmm. He was just... I just, it's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Larry, before we wrap this up, the million dollar question Where were you when Cleveland's drought ended? Iguodala to inbound. Shepard trying to stay with Curry. Catches one dribble, steps back, puts up a three. Won't go. Rebound tip taken by Spades. Final seconds. It's over. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are NBA champions. Where were you watching? I was in my uh, I was in Redondo Beach at my at my house. In LA. Very nice. So, yeah, I was at Redondo. No better Beach, place to watch it. No better. I mean, there was a better place to watch it. You know, wherever wherever uh, you know, wherever you were drinking those twelve packs, that sounded you know sounded pretty good. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it was, it was just awesome to see. Great to re- great to rewatch too. Like I appreciate you guys doing this, so I could you know rewatch that and kind of relive. It was awesome. And especially now that I'm a Cavs player, I can 
I can openly appreciate it. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, Larry. Uh, This means a lot to us. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, For all our listeners out there, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely support the Cleveland Cavaliers, but support Larry. Go to athletesversecrones.org. Donate. Help spread awareness. It all means uh, a great deal to you, obviously, Larry. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to. I appreciate you, you know, giving me some time to. So, you know, obviously, you know, if, if, if you followed my story at all, you know, in, in high school when I was 16, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, um, which is an autoimmune disease, um, you know, located in your digest, digestive tract. And, um, you know, it, it stunted my growth. It, it, was, it was really tough, you know, really tough growing up, you know, to kind of get through that and, and, and you know, persevere. Um, through that but you know my family was just really good with you know really good with making sure I was all right the Cleveland Clinic did an awesome job of you know diagnosing me and getting me on the right medications and and um you know it it turned my life around I started growing gaining weight and you know finally started finally picked up a basketball and decided you know all right you know I I have got the energy to do this and so and uh and and it, it you know however many years, 11 years down the road, you know, I get to play in the NBA and share my story and, and, um, you know, now try to give back to those kids that were sitting in my situation. And so, you know, we have, uh, we have various mentoring events throughout the year. We do, we provide scholarships for, for kids in the New York, in, in New York, Cleveland, um, LA, Chicago area. And so, um, you know, we do, we just do a lot of, a lot of good stuff in the Crohn's community. You know, it's, it's, we have, you know, money going towards research and I, I could talk for days and days about it, but you know, I'll keep it short. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's something that's very near and dear to me. So if you, if you have it, know of anybody that has it or, um, you know, would like to get involved. Um, it's all over my Instagram, all over my Twitter, or it's, uh, athletesforscrones.org and, and, uh, every little bit counts. So, um, I just appreciate you guys supporting. Hey, no, no problem at all. We really, really appreciate your time. So we'll let you go now. Athletesversecrones.org. Uh, and for all our listeners out there, if you want to support our podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe, and help cook those books and take advantage of Apple's metrics. So thanks again to Larry. Thanks to Carter. Thank you to all our listeners. And until next time, go Cats.